So last week we began this series called The Bible. And like I said, it's not the most creative name, um, but we weren't going for creativity. Like there was no aspirations in this series to be creative or to be like have any sort of trickery or any bait and switch. There wasn't one of those where we, we said, okay, let's, let's try to figure out a way to make them think we're talking about one thing and then get to the Bible. Like, no, we, we want to be very honest and forthright. In this series, what we're calling a foundational series in our youth ministry, we believe, we believe that a foundational practice of the Christian life, a non-negotiable, one that you should build your faith on in your day-to-day faith walk is reading, understanding, and applying the Bible to your life. Reading, understanding, applying the Bible to your life is this foundational thing that if we miss it, if we miss it, then we may miss one of the biggest opportunities that we have to grow in Christ-likeness. And so even if the Bible is brand new to you, we want to help you take steps into reading, understanding, and applying the Bible to your life. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you've grown up in a Christian home, and you've had Bibles with you all along, and you've had opportunities to read the Bible, we, we don't want to just keep you where you're at. We want to help you grow in that, but we want to help you see that your next step may not, may not be studying more deeply, but instead helping others read, understand, and apply the Bibles to, to their lives. You see, we had this incredible story that I love of Philip last week where, where Philip is going down the road and he sees somebody who's reading the Bible. And he sees that person who's reading the Bible. He goes up to the person reading the Bible and he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the person reading it says, no, how, how could I? How, how can I understand it unless somebody explains it to me? And so Philip proceeds to explain the scripture to him that he was reading. And he starts with that passage and he leads this person to Christ. Salvation in Christ. And this person, having had this conversion experience, giving his life to Christ, is going down the road with Philip, and he sees some water, and he says, hey, what, what should stop me from being baptized right now? And so they get out of the chariot, and they walk over to the water. Philip baptizes this guy, and they go on their separate ways. But in there, we see that Scripture's value is, is that, number one, it leads us to an awareness an awareness of salvation being found in Jesus Christ. And so for our own lives and for our families, we want to make sure that our lives are, are inundated with Scripture because we want to make sure that the, the world we live in, our world, has an opportunity, has the best bet, has, has every influence in it that would lead us toward the wisdom that salvation is found in Christ. And so for our kids, we want them to know this. For our own lives and for those around us, we want that. And so we want to inundate ourselves with Scripture. But next, it leads us and it prepares us, it equips us for every good work. Now, one of the really cool things in Scripture is the continuity between different books of the Bible. And so as, as Paul is writing Second Timothy, he tells us that the Scripture equips us for every good work. And then in Ephesians, he teaches us that not only are we equipped for every good work, but we were actually created for every good work. We were created for good works, and these aren't good works that we have to go out and invent. These are good works that God actually prepared for us to do. And so God prepares the good works, and the Scripture equips us to complete these works. And so we see, we see that if we are going to live out our lives as God has designed us to, we need to be the people that are equipped to do the good works that He's calling us to. And so we read the Bible. 
We read the Bible not just as some mundane piece of literature, but we read the Bible as if our very lives depend on it. Because the Bible has something to say about our lives today. The fact that we were created for good works and the scripture equips us to do those good works. It has, it has an implication for every aspect of my day-to-day life, how I live my life. But it's not just today that scripture speaks to it. It impacts my life forever. Because if, if salvation is tied up with my understanding of how Christ came into this world to die on my behalf, and it's scripture that helps lead towards the wisdom for that salvation, then I need to know. I need to know. Read like your life depends on it. And so after this first step of reading, we have to seek to understand scripture. And that's kind of where we're going to camp out today. But before we do, I want you to think about this phrase. You got the job. And when you read those words, you hear those words, like logically, you know what those words mean. And for some of you right now, you had different response than other people in the room because you heard those words. But I just want you to think about what if, what if those words actually meant something because of the situation of life you're in? Like you can logically understand it, but can you actually feel it? So think about this story. Think about the single mom. The single mom who's, who, who has two kids at home, and she was fired last month. She was fired last month because her younger kid was sick. And it was either take the kid to the doctor and miss work, or let the kid stay at home sick by himself and figure it out on his own and go to work. So she made the decision that most loving parents would make. She said, listen, I'm going to deal with whatever consequences come. I'm going to take my kid to the doctor. He's been sick for days. He's not getting any better. I have to take him. So she takes the kid to the doctor. He gets uh, the medicine he needs. They go home, and the next day she goes to work. And when she goes to work, she meets with her boss, and her boss says, hey, you missed. I told you you can't miss again for family stuff. it, It keeps adding up. You missed. I've got to let you go. And so she goes home without a job. And so she sits there and the month goes by and she's a single mom trying to figure out how to make ends meet. Application after application goes in. And as the month winds on, winds down, rent is up next month, groceries are being purchased and she looks at her two kids. She said, I have to figure something out. And so after this other resume and application went in, she finds herself being called in for an interview. And she goes in for the interview, and she has this interview, and she, like most people, has the interview and thinks through it and says, oh, I wish I would have said that differently. I wish I would have said that differently. And so this weight is on her shoulders, and she's waiting to find out whether or not she got the job because she knows that groceries are contingent on this job, that rent is contingent on this job. The future of her kids are contingent on this job. So she sits there across from the person who conducted the interview. He smiles at her, looks at her, and says, you got the job. It was four words. Like, we can understand logically, with or without the story, what the implications are. Like, we understand, yes, logically, somebody got a job. But if we know the context of what's going on in this person's world, the phrase, you got the job, has an exponentially different meaning. And so when we seek to understand Scripture, we have to understand that Scripture speaks not just facts, but Scripture speaks to everyday life. 
And if we go into reading the Bible as if it's some mental exercise to simply understand the facts and the figures that are in the text, then we miss the fact that Scripture has so much more to say to us. Now, in Psalm chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1, um, we have a few verses here that I want to really kind of fly through. They, they deserve more time than what we're going to get. But Psalm chapter 1, 1 through 3. Now, as you're turning there, I just want to encourage you with this. When we, when we think about reading, understanding, and applying the Bible to our lives, last week we talked about finding a reading plan that allows you to dive deep into a passage. And so we, we kind of discouraged reading plans of the Bible that just kind of skim across the surface because we're trying to go so fast. It, it's very important to give yourself the time and the space to fully understand and feel what we're reading. And so as you are thinking through in your life, your family's life, what it looks like, my, my first encouragement to you would be broaden the amount of time, but narrow the focus in what you're reading. Psalm chapter 1, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now here we see these two different scenarios. In this first one, we have somebody who spends all of his time walking, standing, and sitting with wicked people, with sinners, with mockers. And a person like this fills their mind with advice with suggestions, with even teachings of people that would be categorized as wicked, sinners. People even mock the truth. On the other hand, we have this second scenario that, that is kind of let out. He says he, he, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. He meditates on it day and night. He's a person who's full of joy when he is found in God's word. But it's not just this passing experience with God's word. He meditates on it day and night. It's all-consuming. I I want you to look at this contrast real fast. You have the person who stands, walks, and even sits. And so he's walking along, he's standing there, and even sitting down to listen to. Now, if you ever see me on the third floor or going down to the worship center on Sunday mornings, if you catch me walking, I'll probably be walking pretty quickly because I've got places to go. Now, I talk about this with some of our students, like, guys, you do not realize what a minefield it is for me when it comes to being on time to worship to hit the first floor of E3. Like, if, if you see, and I, I don't, this is going to be like recording too. Here's a secret. Like, I, I head down to the second floor. Like, if I need to be on time to worship, especially when I'm doing the welcome or whatever, I head down to the second floor of this building, and then I go from there. I will not hit the first floor because, because that first floor with a combination of youth ministry families and preschool families and even my own kids sometimes, like it is a minefield. And so I walk because in walking quickly, I can get through and I don't have to stop. Walking doesn't give you a whole lot of time to talk to me. Standing gives you more time. If you catch me up here or whatever, and we're standing right outside after parenting teens, we have more time to talk. And then to take it a step further, 
Like, hey, can we go over here and talk? And we, we go sit down at the tables out there. We come over to the bistro area. We sit down. And guess what? At that point, I'm probably missing the songs. I know that. I know that. But I'll be in there for the sermon at least, right? But if we sit down, I, just the progression of walking or standing or sitting, it even shows up right here. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, meaning they just don't breeze by. That's one thing. Take it a step further. Or stand in the pathway with sinners. We're actually going to stand here and we're going to talk together. Then finally, sit in the company of mockers, people who mock the truth. And so it, for me, I just love this little progression that the author writes in here of, okay, temporary, a little bit longer, and now this is just where I'm going to camp out and sit. Instead, he delights in the Lord's instruction, meditating on it day and night. It's this all-consuming idea that my day and my night is wrapped up in reflection on the word. Now, the end result, the end result of somebody who finds their joy in the word of the Lord and meditates it on, day, on it day and night is prosperity. It's the joy that comes with flourishing. Now, that's certainly the kind of life that we want. We want to be people whose lives flourish. Now, when we, when we read the Bible, we expose ourselves to what God has to say. But our next step after reading is to meditate on it, is to seek a greater understanding so that eventually we can leave it, live out what he's calling us to. Now, all day long, we have these internal thoughts. Sometimes they focus on, on sports. Sometimes they focus on school. Sometimes they focus on what lunch I forgot to pack. Sometimes they fo- it, it focuses on all sorts of random things. But I do know this. The things that our, our minds are filled with, the things that we reflect on when we don't have to think about anything, the things that when we get to the calm moments of life that our mind drifts towards are the things most of the time that are most valuable to us. And so there are seasons of life, there are seasons of life for me where my mind drifts to what's going to happen on Sunday afternoon because I care about the Cowboys. I just want to know. I just want to know. And so my mind drifts to that. There are times, seasons of life, where there's different stressors and my mind drifts to who is picking up the kids because we need to know because I left them stranded one time. And so it sticks with you. But, but where our mind goes, where our mind goes when we don't have to think about anything oftentimes shows what is most valuable to us. But what the author of Psalms would encourage is that when you think during the day, when you meditate on things, when you reflect on things, when you have space to think about things that you don't have to think about anything else during, meditate, think about, reflect on the Lord's instruction. Can you meditate, can you think on the Word in a busy moment? I think this is one of the things we have to figure out in our lives. Because we have this picture of, of having this place for meditation where we are distant and we're removed from all distraction, all noise, all people. In fact, there, there sometimes I've thought in my, my life, if, we, if, our, if our floor plan was a little bit different, I could meditate on the Word more faithfully. Like if I just had that room or that closet or that space, then I could. And I, I think one thing that we have to take full, I guess, responsibility for is where our mind goes wherever we are. Because the truth of the matter is, we are not going to have the opportunity to spend all day, every day in some pristine prayer closet. We're not. We're not going to have the ability to shut out all the outside noise all the time. We're not. But we can, with wisdom, pursue opportunities to think, to meditate during our day. 
And so meditation is, is intentional thinking without distraction. But what distraction is, is up to us. And so here's, here's what I know about me, that I, I can be laser focused on the TV, even with my kids around. And so the screaming and the pain that they experience from falling down or whatever, that becomes white noise if I'm focused on something else. It does. Now, it drives my wife insane. She said, how do you not hear them? Like, well, I, I think I heard them for a second. I assessed the situation and said, it's not worth my focus. I've got other things. But for whatever reason, we allow our mind to drift and wander uh, away from meditating on the Word for a lot of things that are not as important. And so uh, intentional thinking without distraction is, is primarily something we have to do by committing not to be distracted. We have to commit to be focused. And we can honestly do this in most places. It's not a matter of circumstances. It's a matter of the heart. What do I want to commit to? And so as we, as we walk through this with our students, one of the phrases that we're going to talk about, last week we said, read like your life depends on it. Today, we're talking about praying like you want to change. We want to encourage our students, we want to encourage you, we want to encourage all of us to pray like we want to change. What we're saying is we want to, we want to pray as if we want our lives to be changed by what we're reading and reflecting on. We want to pray in such a way that we, our hearts are different, our minds are different, and even the actions we take are different because of what God's Word has said to us. And so I think a lot of times we have people that find reading the Bible boring because it's not practical. It's just not practical. It doesn't speak to my everyday life. And, and I would say that one of the reasons is we want to go immediately from the step reading to action. We want to skip the heart work that God does in our lives when we spend intentional time meditating on the Word. We want quick fixes. We want immediacy. We want immediate gratification. And so if we can't read it and apply it immediately, our default assumption is, oh, it must not apply to me. But that's, that's not true. In fact, I, I can't even number the times in Scripture where different people say, and I meditate on your word, I meditate on your law, I meditate on your word, I meditate, I meditate. Like it's this constant re-emphasis that understanding what God wants for our lives is due in part to our willingness to spend time reflecting, meditating, praying about what he may be saying to us. Now here's one more passage, Joshua 1.8. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. I want to just key in. You are to meditate, it on, meditate on it day and night so that for the purpose of carefully observing everything written in it. Pray like you want to change. Spend the time meditating, reflecting, and praying through Scripture so that you can actually live it out. So here's some practical steps. Number one, um, I would encourage you to give life to what you've read by writing what you think and writing what you've, you've been prompted to pray. There is, there is something that happens with the internalization process when we write. If, 
if, if you would say that your entire Bible study is comprised of holding open a Bible, but you never put pen to paper, you're, you're probably depriving yourself of the opportunity for your mind and your heart to really engage in the process. There is something about us that's hardwired when we write. So give life to what you've read by writing what you think and writing what you're prompted to pray. Second, create space to actually meditate. And, and when I say meditate, it's not going off into a room and saying the same word over and over again or anything like that. Meditate, meditating is just that simple, intentional reflection of what you may be learning. So we're, we're in trouble as people. And let me, actually, let me back up and say this. Hey, we are in trouble as people. Like, we are in trouble. Like, I'm just going to go big picture for a second. We are in trouble as people because we live lives full of distraction. We're in trouble with a generation of students who have been brought up to think that silence, that non-distraction is the way to live life. Like, we is, is not, not the way, anyway, you get it, not the way to live life. We, we have put in our students' hands what has been placed in our hands, and we get this, we know this. We are constantly distracted by the, the, the buzzing of our phones, the notifications that go off, and then even a step further, when there's any quiet time, do you know what happens? If, you, if you're anywhere, if you're anywhere when there's silence and just waiting around, what do you see? People on phones distracting themselves from day-to-day life. In fact, like we, we read, if you read any app reviews, especially the games that are marketed towards our teenagers, and so I'm going to speak in a narrow focus, the games that are marketed to adolescent boys, one of the top factors in the game is great time killer, great time waster. Like, like literally, it's, it says in there, one of the valuable things about this is that you can cram four hours of value into your, of your life into 48 hours. Wait, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you have this game, it's great. You can, you can take four hours of value and expand it into 48 hours because you've wasted the other parts of your day. Like, because you've played the game. And you market it in such a way where it's actually a great thing to waste time. And so the ability to actually think and reflect, like we're, we're systemically removing from our lives. It's, it's so much so that even in the writing industry, you have people that are famous, not because of the tomes that they've written with deep thought, but they've made, they've made a living off of pithy sayings. It's like the most genius people we have. Why? Because we don't have longer than 240 words to read. Like, we, we just can't do it. If it's more than that, we're out. And I, I just, I want you to know that, that we are reaching a point where we have to be intentional decision makers in our lives about whether or not we're going to be bored, about whether or not we're going to be distracted. And so I'm going to be a huge advocate for boredom. I'm going to be a huge advocate for not being distracted. Huge, because if, if we look at the second place, creating space to meditate, like we're in trouble if when there's silence, our default response is to pick up our phones. If when there's silence or not something going on, our default is to pick up our phones and distract ourselves. What we're saying is, we don't need that opportunity to meditate, to reflect, to pray through what the Lord may be showing us. Because the Lord oftentimes does not speak through apps. Though it would be great. It'd be great. He doesn't. 
So if we start jumping onto our phone, start reading the reviews of apps, oh yeah, all that good stuff, okay, I'm gonna skip that. Okay, number three, and we'll, we'll wrap up here. Have a plan. Have a plan for actually how you reflect on, on the word kind of meditation. So there are, um, there's a book called Seven Arrows. It started off a little bit smaller than a book, but expanded out. And the goal of this was to create, create a tool that would help people reflect on the word on a daily basis. And so in youth ministry growing up, I've got a couple of different youth group pet peeves. One of them is when it's time for prayer request, the unspoken prayer request. I have a really hard time with that. What developed in my youth ministry was about 85% of our prayer requests were unspoken prayer requests. And so on any given Sunday morning, yeah, any prayer request? Oh yeah, I've got one. Get that nice emotional look on your face. Oh, okay, yeah, Michael, what do you want to pray for? Oh, unspoken unspoken. Oh, okay, so something must be going on in Michael's life, and it's very serious. We want to solicit the Lord's input into his life, but it's just too big to even talk about, so unspoken. Okay, next. Blake, what do you want to pray about? Oh, I've got an unspoken one too. Okay, yeah, cool. Okay, thanks. Hey, Matt, what, what, what's your prayer request? Oh, uh, he doesn't have one. Unspoken, unspoken. Yeah, you can, and so now here, here's this awesome part. We would actually print out the prayer list, we would print out the prayer list, and so every week you would just have, it's like an attendance sheet of names with next to the name, unspoken. It's incredible. Pet peeve number one in youth ministry. Pet peeve number two in youth ministry is the question, what, is, what does that passage mean to you? What does that passage mean to you? And so like the, the definitive end-all, be-all question we would ask anytime we read the Bible was, what does that mean to you? And there's no wrong answers. Like, Jesus, Jesus was buried in the tomb, rose on the third day. Hey, Michael, what does that, what does that mean to you? Well, man, I, I think that means that when I go home today and my mom says clean my room, I'm going to look at her and say, no, I don't have to. I don't have to because Jesus took a couple of days off. And if he can take a couple of days off on the weekend, I can take a couple of days off on the weekend. So do you not want me to be like Jesus? No, that is not what that passage means. Like, Michael, you're wrong. You're wrong. So, so instead of asking simply the question, what does the Bible mean to you? And saying whatever answer you give is the right answer. Let's, let's ask a few better questions. Question number one, what does this passage say? Like, what is the simple definition, the simple interpretation of what this passage is actually saying? If I were to say to our students on Wednesday nights, on your way out, pick up your trash and throw it away, what am I saying? Am I, am I saying that you're terrible people that nobody could absolutely love? No. Am I saying that we're going to give t-shirts away at our next event? No. What I'm saying is there's trash to be picked up, and when you leave, your job is to put it in the receptacle the simple interpretation of what is being said. And I think a lot of times we want to get to like the implications, the application, and the deep level thinking before we actually understand what a passage is saying. And so what does the passage actually say? Next, what did this passage mean to its original audience? There were people who were given this word before we were. And so a letter from Paul to Timothy was originally meant for Paul from Paul to Timothy. And so there are certain things in there. When it's talking about Timothy's family, we have to understand that Timothy's family is not our family. And so my mother and my grandmother are not the same as Timothy's. 
And so when it says, I knew your mother and I knew your grandmother, like Paul did not know my mother and grandmother. He didn't. So we have to ask the question, what does the passage mean to the original audience? And then take it a step further, we have to know that, that our interpretation of the Bible will never contradict what it meant to its original audience. Like We, we can't draw a conclusion from Scripture that goes against what Paul was trying to say to Timothy. We, we can't, because it has a meaning. Next, what does this passage tell us about God? Scripture will speak to the truth of who God is. And so before we even look to our own lives about what we might should be living out, we need to ask a bigger question, a better question. What, what might this passage be telling me about the creator of all things? Next, what does this passage tell us about mankind? Humankind. The Scripture is going to speak to all of mankind before it speaks to our individual circumstance. And so are there truths in, in this passage that speak to all of mankind before I look to apply it to my life? Next, what does this passage demand of me? We will get to a point where Scripture does ask something of us. And holistic Bible reading says, when I open the Word, I'm opening the possibility that God may be calling me to something. Next, what is, how does this passage change the way I relate to people? Being people who are created for relationship, created to live in this world, created to impact those around us. There are relational dynamics. There are people around us that will be impacted by the way we live out this passage. And then finally, how does this passage prompt me to pray to God? How is the way that in my reflection, my meditation, and even taking the challenge of how I'm being asked to change, how does this prompt me to pray to God? And so the passage that I keep talking about and have been wrestling with over the past five, six, seven weeks now is Philippians 2.5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And so how do I pray through that? There's some things coming up this week where my attitude, I know, is not that at the same as Christ Jesus. There's some encounters I'm going to have with, with one specific individual where I know that if, if I were to have the attitude of Christ Jesus, that will go a different way than if I don't. So right now, as I'm meditating and continuing on that passage, one of the ways I'm being prompted to pray is simply help me live out what you're calling me to. We, we talked through this series and we want to give tools for our students because we, we want to make sure we want to make sure that we don't walk out of here assuming that because people have spent time in church, they know how to read, understand, and apply the Bible. Like how, how terrible would it be to spend seven years in youth ministry from 6th through 12th grade, have camps, mission trips, collide impact weekends, go out and serve, have mentor opportunities, and still, when all is said and done, to go off to college and not know how to open the Bible on your own. We, we want to make sure that we are a place that is giving not just our students, but all of our families the tools they need to grow in Christ-likeness. And one of the ways we do that is by reading, understanding, and applying the Bible.